Hi, welcome to Offscript. I'm Zach Lewis. And I'm Dr. Draper. Today on the show, we're taking a look at Elvis. The new music biopic biopic is out, and we are going to talk about it. We're also looking at Lightyear. Uh, Pixar's newest foray into space is, has arrived, also known as Toy Story 5 in some audiences, and we're going to talk about it. Uh, well, a prequel to Toy Story, really, right? It would be... Toy Story has succumbed uh, to prequelitis. Yeah, it's already uh, getting yeah. a little complicated. <laughs> it's a little complicated, but we're going to talk about it. We're going to talk about some upcoming trailers, exciting things that are coming out. First things first, when we get to the news, uh, Netflix just laid off a bunch of people. 300 positions cut at Netflix uh, in anticipation of their Q2 announcement of what we suspect will be 2 million subscribers lost. Good God, Andy. Netflix is uh, really circling the drain, or, or so it sounds, huh? Yeah, I mean, Netflix has really struggled uh, this year, I guess, uh, losing a ton of subscribers. They're anticipated to lose, I think it's 2 million subscribers. Uh, it was just 200,000 uh -huh. last quarter. Yeah, It's over a couple million this quarter. So uh, it's bad. And and what they're doing is cutting back on production, production staff. Um, lots of, the, they basically cut a bunch of contracts with production companies uh, mostly. And so that's, that's what's being done. And I mean, their, their stock is tanked like 70% uh, as well. So it's, uh, it's hard times for them. I tell you, if I was leadership at Netflix, I'd be nervous. I, I, I don't know how you dig yourself out of this other than quality content that keeps people coming back. And unfortunately, that doesn't seem to be their answer. They did have some statement about movies that we talked about a couple of weeks ago. That they want to invest in smarter scripts, but that remains to be seen. In the meantime, it seems like they're interested in cracking on down, down on things like password sharing, which I don't think will work for them. Uh, they, they've also mentioned an ad-supported tier. I, I mean, I don't know. It feels weak. Right now, you guys need money and you're talking to advertisers. You should be talking to studios to make better content. Like That's what's going to bring people back to your platform. Ads drive people away, but but content brings people in. I, I, don't, I don't know. Am I, am, am I crazy? Well, one of the things that Netflix has really faced is staunch competition from Disney Plus, HBO Max, Paramount. Like there are, we're in the middle of the streaming wars, but there are some big, bigger players uh, that that are really chomping away at Netflix's piece of the pie, and and yeah, and, the, and their you know their answer is to you know like you said cut down on password sharing or you know they are trying to make better movies that you know an example they gave was instead of making two ten million dollar movies let's make one twenty million dollar movie so they are trying to have a little bit better quality control, but you just got to have things that really grab people. You know, they have Stranger Things and that's basically it. And there's two more episodes left of that. And then like, what else are you going to watch? What other series is really getting you going? Yes. Uh, your new favorite statement is what was the last Netflix original you rewatched? <laughs> not, not many. Like there, there are a few things that keep you coming back to Netflix. I saw this great, I, need, I should probably just go find it real fast. I saw this great little like graph that Forbes put together, I think, earlier this week about Netflix and where they're at by just polling random readers of Forbes, right? People who are subscribed to Netflix, what they think. And they said like of their polls, 70% of Netflix users share their passwords. That's what 70% admitted to sharing their passwords. And when asked how many would drop the service if they couldn't share their password anymore or if they had to start paying instead of using a shared password, it was like 64% of people said they would quit Netflix. Like people... People, people don't want to change like and, and 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 i think trying to make people change is is not going to be a great move for them but i mean they're they're going to they 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 they're, they're going to spend they're going to spend spend 17 billion i think i had a stroke 
on content in the next year. That's what it says. Like, so they're, they're definitely committed to, to, to making more stuff. I, I just, I don't know. <laughs> I don't, if I was Netflix, I'd be quick, worried, in, man. Yeah. In this article, I don't know if you noticed there's a true detective, uh, <laughs> Oh, I know. Announce, announcement uh, yeah, in the sidebar. Who is this person? Uh, I know we don't talk about... We, listen, we don't talk about TV a lot here on Oscar, but Andy and I appreciate cinematic television uh, and True Detective Season 4 at HBO is cast Kelly Rice and lead role opposite Jodie Foster. What else has she done? Hold on. We should probably talk about this. <laughs> yeah, probably, we'll, we'll get off that probably get back. But... Yeah, uh, all right. Well, <laughs> But uh, yeah, they've cast the, the detective opposite Jodie Foster, which is Great. exciting. You're into that, to that show. Uh, <laughs> back on the track of movie news, uh, Ghostbusters Afterlife has officially been greenlit for a sequel to It Theaters in December 2023. I think they already announced they were making a sequel to this, but now we have a few more details. Uh, Jason Reitman will be returning uh, for, to direct the film. Son of Ivan Reitman, of course, original writer and director of Ghostbusters, who helped out in the last movie shortly before his passing. Uh, Jason is back in the saddle, ready to make a new Ghostbusters movie. Andy, any, I mean, you're not, you're not quite the Ghostbusters fan. I am. I, I like this series a little bit more than you do. What, do. what do you think? I mean, it was expected. Uh, the movie did pretty well considering it, it came out in, in November pretty strongly during the, the pandemic was still going pretty strong then. Um, so it made around $200 million globally. And so that was enough to, to, to highlight the, you know, to greenlight uh, a sequel, which isn't really surprising to anyone. It it was much better received than the 2016 version, although that version actually made more money. So it's um, kind of puzzling in some ways. But anyways, this movie will is going back to New York. We're going back to the firehouse, back to the roots of Ghostbusters. And um, uh, so it'll be kind of more uh, in the traditional sense of, of how those movies were made. Yeah, Ghostbusters Afterlife has a pre- pre- peculiar ending uh, that, that may encourage future endeavors in the Ghostbusters universe. And it sounds like they're going to carry those out. I, I think, you know, why not? It, it is worth mentioning, uh, I think, a, a funny, a fun a fun fact about Ghostbusters Afterlife. Ghostbusters Afterlife made about $30 million less worldwide than Ghostbusters 2016, also known as Ghostbusters Answer the Call, also known as the Ghostbusters with all the chicks. So in case anybody says they had a problem with the chick one and they wanted to to to, to carry out the kid one yeah totally but the chick one definitely like got a higher score it definitely made more money and that's that's worth mentioning uh i i think you know <laughs> i don't know maybe they can tie that in a little bit i i i don't know it, it does feel weird that they tried in 2016 to do this and totally had a had a setup ending at the end of that one too um and that one didn't really go anywhere but now we've got this one with kids and like made a little less money but bang all like a shot we 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 got strong audience sensibilities and we're going with it you know yeah. uh remains I to mean, be seen take, what what's coming it's taking a page out of stranger things you know you got the got a kid cast yes back, which which is so funny because like stranger things is inspired by films of the 80s like ghostbusters so yeah very very much so uh it's it's just like the new it films right like stranger things was was inspired by stephen king works like it and that subsequently spoke to what the new it was going to look like it's this bootstrap philosophy that ghostbusters is inevitably tied into uh jury's still out and if they get the old cast back uh bill murray probably won't be coming back he was just in that movie being mortal on it for disease and sorry's producing a searchlight when he was asked to leave the set following studio complaints about his behavior (laughs) 
<laughs> so, uh, you know, uh, who, who, who knows what's going to happen with new Ghostbusters, but keep it here for more. Uh, it'll be coming out December 2023. Christmas Ghostbusters and competing with uh, Star Wars. Our last story, uh, Elvis croons past Top Gun Maverick to win rare box office dance-off with 31 million dollars i don't know if there's anybody more surprised about this than andy and i because we both thought this was going to be a low-key bomb <laughs> so i'm yeah I'm I, surprised. I definitely i definitely thought this was going to be a bomb again could be as older audiences have not come out and that changed a little bit with top gun maverick but that's kind of an event picture you know it was a, a sequel to a beloved property it had you know action tom cruise all this stuff so it kind of makes sense why it was successful but I mean, Elvis is an original film from a, you know, eccentric director, and uh, so it was unsure. But it, no, it, it really did resonate with audiences. You, you had large number or people coming in large numbers over the age of thirty-five and even over fifty-five. So it's de- definitely speaking to older generations. It definitely helps that it's you know being well received. Uh, movie's got a ninety-four on Rotten Tomatoes, uh, at least according to audiences, seventy-nine for critics. Uh, and it's it's weird to see how many people turned out that are in older audiences. 56% of the audience is over the age of 35. Uh, 29% of that was over the age of 55. So so a third of people were 55 or older that went and saw this movie. That's real good numbers for that group of audience because those people are not getting out and seeing movies. Andy, I think the boomers might have saved cinema between Top Gun and Elvis. Like <laughs> it, That's all we needed was, was the old people to come back and, and watch the movies again. Thank God for them. Yeah, it's nice to see just uh, more variety and diver- diversity in your audience because you don't want to just be catering to the 18 to, t- to 35 age group, even though that's kind of the prime uh, demographic. It's nice to have lots of different types of films for different audiences. Yeah. Additionally, uh, it's worth mentioning the Black Phone also did better uh, than expected. That made about $23 million, which... I guess I'm not too surprised by it. I didn't think that was going to be any kind of a hit. And at $23 million, it's not really a hit. So, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I, I guess that is expected. And it's worth mentioning Top Gun, I think, has formally cleared a billion dollars worldwide, right? Yeah, it's now is, Top uh, It's Top Guns. It's Tom Cruise's uh, highest grossing film ever, most <sighs> successful film, only the second film of the pandemic era to cross over a billion dollars. Uh, so it's a mega hit. I mean, they were hoping for, like, 600 to 700 global uh take and um it's done almost that much just domestically i'm curious uh we i know we talked about the I, well i asked you this offline last week but like what what year are we walking into the theaters to see top gun rooster like i'll, I'll give it two years i'm gonna say 2024 really all right okay that's fair <laughs> I could say a sequel seems inevitable in some fashion, right? Like I didn't really I mean, set up for one, but I, I mean, how do you get that much money and just say, we're not making any more of these? There's no way. Yeah. You can kill every character, but if you make a billion dollars, they're, they're bringing the property back in, in some form or fashion. I mean, again, the Joker movie, which was made on a $70 million budget, which is amazing to make over a billion dollars on, uh, especially a film like that. Yeah. Bananas. Like what, a, what a return. My God. Uh, and also one more thing from the box office before we move into our Elvis review. Uh, Lightyear did okay, but it had a big fall off in its second week, uh, which is an unprecedented decline for a Pixar movie, which is weird because this is their first Pixar film back in theaters, but this one's had a bit of a rocky marketing 
approach if you're familiar <laughs> lots, <laughs> lots of fierce competition news. too yes that's you, also you know, true yeah it came out it came out the week after jurassic park or jurassic world and you know maverick still going strong so there's an interesting statistic there that apparently four percent of film goers uh that are four percent of people that have seen top gun maverick have gone at least four times so it, oh it's God. really had legs have you seen it twice I no i once. haven't yeah no i didn't I mean, it's worth seeing more than once, more than once for sure. Once, well, yeah, sure, but we had a lot of movies to see. And speaking of yeah, movies, we, we should probably get to our full review of Baz Luhrmann's new film, uh, Andy. I think, Andy, you're taking the summary on this one, right? Yep. Perfect. Andy's graciously agreed to take the summary on this one. Uh, Andy, please take it away. Elvis. You ain't the Don't play I wish to promote you, Mr. Preston. So this is the long-in-production musical biopic of the king of rock and roll himself, Elvis, um, directed by Baz Luhrmann, who famously did Romeo and Juliet, uh, Moulin Rouge, uh, The Great Gatsby, I think. Was is The Great Gatsby his last film? Sure. Yes, yeah. Great. Oh, yeah, Gatsby starring Tobey Maguire and Leo DiCaprio. Yes, yes. Um, so he's known as a kind of eccentric director, really brings a lot of flair, a lot of energy uh, to his projects. Uh, so this tells the almost complete story of Elvis from his his uh, kind of humble beginnings in Tupelo, Mississippi, Missouri, <laughs> the Deep South, um, and his rise to fame and with his unique style and stage presence. Uh, and it, it it's all told through the lens of Tom Hanks's character, uh, the kind of devious Colonel Tom Parker, who was Elvis's promoter. Um, and who was also kind of swindling him at, at the same same time. Uh, the the movie, um, like I said, it's a span of his whole life. Lots of big musical numbers. We get to see, uh, you know, Austin Butler. I forgot to say he was playing Elvis. Austin <laughs> Butler, <laughs> yes. um, who embodies uh, the king himself uh, and, and puts on a number of really incredible uh, performances, recreating uh, iconic events. Um, and it's a long film. It's, it's three, three hours, two hours, 40 minutes. Um, and it, there, it's a lot going in there, but what else would you expect from, a, a you know, a tale of, of the King of rock and roll? Uh, Zach, uh, what are your thoughts? Yeah. Okay. The, the Elvis, <laughs> I want to say before we jump into it, that there's a reason Andy and I were a little skeptical about this one. It's not just because it's Boz Luhrmann, right? The wacky director of Moulin Rouge and Great Gatsby and, and. Romeo plus Juliet and, and Australia. Uh, it's because, you know, how, reasonably, Elvis is an older property. And, and how do you hoist up the king of rock and roll, right? One of the most influential figures of the 20th century. The most, the best-selling solo music artist of all time. Uh, how do you do that? How do you cover that? A guy, a guy who also passes away at the age of 42. It's got to be a tight story. You got to cover a lot. You got to cover the good and the bad, right? Like he, he's, he looks great on stage, but he also is, has a mad temper and whips that revolver around and eats a lot of pe fried peanut butter and banana sandwiches. Uh, Elvis is a challenging figure to adapt, which is why it hasn't really been done before outside of a couple of TV movies and I think a decent swing in 2005 with a mid-budget feature. But uh, Boz Luhrmann and Austin Butler got together and said, hey, we want to really want to try to make this work. And Luhrmann does a really fantastic job of keeping Elvis like 
just at arm's length by using Colonel Tom Parker as kind of our main character in the film to keep it. It's like a, a shell story around this great character that is Elvis. We get to know him for sure. And we get to follow the most exciting parts of his career, but you never really get inside his head. And I think that's really smart. Uh, it makes for a decent watch. It's a little long and I'm excited to talk about Elvis. Andy, where do you want to start? Oh, geez. Uh, well, we'll start with casting, I guess. Uh, <laughs> and again, I'll start with Austin Butler, um, who's really amazing. Uh, I mean, his performances, there's, I think, three or four kind of big numbers where, where he does, he's on stage and he's, you know, doing the Louisiana Hayride, the comeback special, and also older Elvis stuff. Um, and he just looks in, in, incredible. Like, he, he really captures the, just like the energy and I think that's one of the things the movie does right, because if you just recreated the same performance, well, that was, you know, that music's 70 years old. It's not really exciting or, or new, but Boz Lerman presents it in a way that's just full of energy and and uh, like the very first performance that we see him in his pink suit and this parts, these parts are in the trailers, but like he starts moving and like the women in the crowd just lose their mind. Like, and it's real slowly too. It's like, it, it's like some sort of demon. Yeah. Uh, and all the dudes them. in the crowd are horrified. <laughs> yeah. Like, oh God. Like, what are we seeing? It's, it, it's such an, an incredible way to show you know what this care what this person was doing and how it was affecting people is the audience uh reactions uh but but he's awesome as as the different versions of elvis uh the different the performances are, are spot on and, and he's singing for a long time so and I, I don't really know austin butler for much but he's he's he comes from broadway so you know he's got the, he's got this the singing chops uh already but really does a great job of sounding like elvis like talking uh, like he did and the the mannerisms especially as as he gets older you know that i i kind of thought they were overdoing this because like elvis is basically drenched in sweat for the last third of the film and i was like that's that's too much that's over the top but then i went back and looked up some old elvis, elvis performance and that's what he looks like like he's just drenched in sweat yeah um so he's he's an incredible uh, what what do you think of of Butler's performance? So I, I I looked up a little trivia before the before we got started here, just to kind of get wrap my head around the feature a little bit, and, and I wanted to list off some of the other actors who who had submitted like screen tests and read for Elvis. These are the top of top top of the list before Austin Butler got it. Ansel Elgort from Baby Driver, Miles Teller from our new Top Gun Maverick, Aaron Taylor Johnson who's in the new movie Bullet Train, and Harry Styles who's in Don't Worry Darling. All up-and-coming actors who are young and perfectly capable, right? Uh, but Austin Butler gets it. And I think it's because he's a bit of a newcomer. He's got some background in Broadway. He's got some background on Disney Channel. He's in a few shows. I've seen screen caps of him. Um, but uniquely, like, he's positioned because people don't really know him. And that helps you over the course of the film blend into feeling like you're watching, functionally, Elvis Presley. Uh, Austin Butler does not look quite like Elvis. They do stretch it and 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 work it a little bit to make him blend. And uh, you you do get some kind of cuts between him and actual Elvis in the feature that really help like kind of solidify that in your mind. But it presents the emotional illusion that you don't really know who you're looking at, and you can kind of fit him into that Elvis mold. It's the same thing 
uh, Chris Nolan did with John David Washington in Tenet, right? Instead of using like a really established actor as your protagonist secret agent, you use a nobody. And that person is suddenly like perfectly blendable in the role you need them to be. It's really smart casting and Butler's great in it. The guy's a lightning rod. He, he, he steals every scene. You're constantly looking at Elvis. Like he's, he's, he's the center stage all the time. And it works great. Uh, like I said in my intro, because he's not the center of the film, really. I mean, he's what we revolve around. He is the sun around which this film moves. But uh, Tom Hanks is kind of the, 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 you know, the, the crunchy candy shell and he's doing this kind of funny, <laughs> kind, of, kind of funny villain thing. Uh, he's got a bit of an accent. Uh, Colonel Tom Parker was a bit of a manager and a bit of a promoter and a bit of a swindler for Elvis. And, uh, after Elvis's death, uh, it came out that he was like holding Elvis over a barrel for millions of dollars. And there were all these trials and he said he was a citizen of no country. Cause technically he wasn't a citizen of America. I don't think. It's nuts. Like, and, and so the whole film is presented as being told by Colonel Tom Parker in his deathbed. Uh, and you get Tom Hanks doing kind of goofy schlocky Tom Hanks. It works. It does not work as well as Austin Butler. Austin Butler's the star here. Yeah. So with, with Colonel Tom Parker, uh, I, I listened to an interview with Tom Hanks. And one of the things he did is he didn't really research the guy and too, oh, too much. Like, like he knew who he was, but he didn't like look up interviews and like look for what he looked like. Um, so he takes on the, this like, yeah, this kind of strange Dutch accent just because he happened to be Dutch. Um, apparently <laughs> the real uh, Tom Parker, Colonel Tom Parker didn't look like that. Um, and yeah, I but looked he, up a picture he, earlier. He doesn't look quite as like, I don't Yeah. Scheming and, and yeah. but, but but he is you know but he is uh you know he has a carnival background and he was he was a carny in in, in the netherlands and he came over to the states and continued to be a, a carny and uh kind of a, a, a swindler and you know he, he was a man who managed dancing chickens and elvis had just happened to be his his, his biggest one uh i think it it does the film does succeed by telling the story through colonel tom parker but i it's just it's kind of a weird choices by by Hanks and I think it's 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 fine. It's a little distracting, but it's it's also not like an incredible performance either. No, I I, I think he was a bit. I hesitate to say underused, but yeah, I mean, I read I I read so far as people saying online that he had like poorly eighty yard lines in the movie. I didn't really notice any, but um, that's mostly due to the very bombastic editing style of Baz Luhrmann, which we should probably probably try to explain to maybe people who have no idea what we're talking about. <laughs> but, but Baz Luhrmann, if you haven't seen his previous works like Moulin Rouge or Australia or Camp Great Gatsby or God, there's one big Romeo plus Juliet. Like it's his, his cinematography and his editing. It has a ton of energy. The man's an auteur to, to a T like lots of snap zooms, crash zooms, pullbacks, big sways, pans, like just whipping that camera around. And then using lots of really wild imaginative transitions between that and the editing room creates like a very manic style of film. Like it, it moves really quickly. The first few opening minutes of this, I leaned over to Christine sitting in the theater next to me and was like, I don't know if I can get through this. <laughs> like just, just the opening sequence is so radically edited. Um, I mean, using like thirds of the screen to show different things and cutting the different footage of Elvis and Austin, like just, just bananas. Like, and, and it does, it, 
it gives the film an identity like in, in, in its in its way for what it's worth. And I think it's strong. I don't, I don't think it hurts it, but like, God, I could see it being a turnoff for some people. I feel like there, there's going to be people that walk out of this movie and they say, I don't like it. And I can't really nail down why. And the reason is because it's like a fever dream. <laughs> it's, yeah. It's like a panic attack. It's, it's crazy. The whole movie is turned up to 11 all the time. And that's, that's part of it is in the editing, which you really feel through the first kind of third of the film. Uh, someone pointed out that around the middle of, of the movie is when Elvis is trying to make movies and it's kind of, it was a dull part in his career because he never really took off as a movie star. And that's actually kind of a, that's reflected in the film because that's kind of a very bland part of the movie, uh, as well. So that's, it's an interesting way that editing itself can be used, uh, as storytelling. But, uh, yeah, Zach's right. There are, there's so many cuts and they're just coming at you, spinning newspapers. It's just like Dude, yeah. a, a mile a minute, but it, it helps convey like just the energy and the following and, and the buzz that, that Elvis had it, especially when he first uh, came on the scene. It's like those old Old Spice commercials uh, where the guy would like, you know, look at your man, now look at me, now back at your man, now back. It's like that for two hours and 40 minutes. Like some <laughs> of the, not always, obviously, like it, it does calm down. Andy's right. Like it does slow down a bit in the middle once you kind of get in the film, but like, God, some of these musical montages, I mean, some of these sequences where he's like touring or, or, or playing certain shows, like just bananas. Yeah. Like camera pushes into an eye and then pulls out and it's Tom Hanks and then spins into it roulette wheel and he's walking through a gambling casino like just just so all over the place um but i don't think it's bad like it it really it creates really tight pacing and really pulls you into the to, into the feature um you don't get all of elvis's life you get just a little bit of you know his, his his life as a kid and then you meet him when he's like 16 or 17 right playing a show and colonel tom parker meets him and then you get most of the rest of his life it it does a pretty good job of cherry picking, right? You, you can't tell all of Elvis's story in two hours and 40 minutes. You can try, but you're going to have to pick some of the good parts and some of the bad parts. And you're going to have to sanitize some of the parts that you don't really want to talk about on screen. Like how old Priscilla Presley was when they met <laughs> or, or uh, yeah, the, how, how, the, how, how damn angry Elvis got at stuff. He, he, he reportedly had a real bad temper, man, like real bad. And that is not really in the film. Yeah. Um, that, I mean, that brings us to, to script and, and narrative and, uh, you're you're exactly right. We we get uh we don't get a, a clean Elvis, but we also don't. It's not like I was reminded of Bohemian Rhapsody, which Sasha Baron Cohen was originally supposed to star in, but he wanted to do like a warts and all story, and uh, the band just wasn't having that because half the uh, half most of Queen is still alive, and they're like, no, we're not going to be portrayed. Yeah, right. Even that's if that were whole legacy. Yeah, yeah. Even if that's the truth, like that's not what what we want. Um, in Cowards. this case, yeah. Uh, Cowards. They shy away from, or I mean, they don't shy away from some of the the darker parts, especially towards the end when it gets into uh, just the substance abuse uh, that Elvis that became a huge problem, uh, drinking pills, uh, whatever else. Yeah, gained a ton of weight. God. Yeah, and, right. and that's you, what you I Google Elvis's life, man. It got it got rough at the end. <laughs> yeah, it's, and I, it's not great. I think that's that's why I I really like this, and one of the reasons is like it's. It's really a tragedy about someone who who was like wor world changing in their their presence and and who reached the highest highs, and then just completely crashed, you know, and had a long steady decline uh, 
into it. You know, this what most biopics do, and which is kind of cliche and boring now, is you know, it's you know, rise to fame. You know, things are great. You know, drugs and alcohol come in, they crash. You know, they they fall out, they go to rehab, and then the and the movie usually ends with you know some big performance and some big comeback, and that's that's how the average biopic does. And this like it's kind of just a long decline. Like Act Three is just it's the long slow demise uh, of Elvis, and so I I really appreciated that it was different because you there was a lot of highlights that you could have just ended on, and then just had like a paragraph of text at the end and been like, well, Elvis passed away sadly, you know that's that's what <laughs> yeah. a lesser director would have done, but no, it's like we 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 see the long kind of terrible uh, demise of this superstar. Right, uh, I'm reminded of Bohemian Rhapsody, right? That never actually that ends on like. Freddie Mercury playing the AIDS AIDS concert, and then it's like we're or, not the AIDS concert. The live Aid. Eight That's years. what I'm thinking of. Like God, Live Aid. I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, right. And then it ends, and then it's like a paragraph and black and white footage behind him. Yeah, and, and yeah, he had another almost decade after that, you know, or, or even like uh, Rocket Man, right? Like that movie ends in what feels like the middle. You're like, where the hell's Fat Elton John? Like we don't get any of that. Like he just gets out of rehab and he's good to go. It ends in the eighties for God's sake. Where's the rest of the story? This movie yeah. goes all all the way. Like, and I appreciate that commitment and it does feel a little dour, like on, on the way down, but you get a really good 35,000 foot view of Elvis's career. You get a lot of the highs, like his, his comeback after making movies and this really cool Christmas sh- special that he completely went against uh, the advice of Colonel Tom Parker and the people in his life to make, where he said, nope, I'm going to make this cool thing and I'm, I'm going to do me. Or going to shows where people said, hey, you can't dance like you do. It freaks the women out. and It's 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 against the Bible. And he's like, I don't care. Like, I'm going to do me. I think it's important to have stories like this one. And I think it's really cool that Elvis is presented in this fashion. Cause yeah, it, it gives you, it gives you the good and the hope and the ideals of this heroic kind of figure, at least in music without, you know, having to see all of the, the tough stuff that nobody really likes to talk about. I, I, I hope that's for the best. Uh, you know, I can't speak for the parties involved, but something I do wish I'd seen a little bit more of just a little bit more. If I could make a, a request for something I wish I'd seen more of. Uh, there were scenes in Bohemian Rhapsody in Rocket Man where our band is coming up with the music, right? They're, they're, they're showing like how uniquely creative they are and the talent that really makes them who they are is the music and their ability to kind of craft tunes. And there's one really good scene of Elvis doing this in this movie. It's when he gets his... Uh, 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 residency in Las Vegas at the International, right at the third act. He gets his whole band together and like a 30-piece orchestra, which is bananas. Uh, and he starts bringing them together with music. And he says, okay, now horns do this. Now drums do that. Now you do this. Now choir do this. And he kind of directs them into this like kind of roar of music. It's really great. And, and that's awesome. I wish there'd been like, I don't know, one or two more scenes of that. Because a lot of his early work, which is a lot of the songs that we know he just starts playing them at concerts like okay now now it's we've jumped a year ahead and he's playing this song now you know and i'm like okay that's that's neat but like the guy genuinely was incredibly talented like he (laughs) he wrote some really incredible music and like you never really get that you never get him scribbling down on a notepad late at night or anything you know um i don't know maybe he stole all his work i know he stole some of it which is not also something the movie doesn't really talk about uh, but I don't know. Uh, yeah, I, I, I wish I, I did a little bit more of that. Like, give me that, give me that genius. You know, let me see it. 
yeah, I did appreciate the movie. It does uh, at least talk about the roots of where Elvis got most of his music from, which was jazz and R and B and gospel and basically black music. And then he presented it to white audiences, which is hugely problematic. But I mean, it was also the fifties. They weren't, you know, they weren't going to, they weren't going to accept. There's a whole conversation at the beginning of that, of like, no, we can't put a colored person on, on stage. Like, um, but, but the movie is, is very honest in, in showing how influenced he he was by the, the music of black culture. Yeah, it's got a lot of him hanging out on Beale Street and 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 hanging out with people like BB King and uh Okay, I'm hard pressed to think of any of the other. There were a few other like known I mean, people little, he was hanging out with. Little Richard. In there. Yeah, other, little Richard. Other... Yeah, yeah, little Richard is in there. Yeah, yeah. Like and that and that stuff's important, I think. Like I think that's good that the movie doesn't ignore that. Like that's one of those things if you had ignored it would have been bad. You know, I, I get ditching the temper. I get ditching the ladies. <laughs> I get not talking about yeah, Priscilla it, Presley's it, age. Yeah, yeah, it, it it hints at it at least a little bit. It um, does. Yeah, it, 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 there's two two lines about Priscilla Presley in there that that put it together. If you're really listening, at one point he mentions that uh, there's a decade between them, and then when you first see them together, he's a GI, and you're like, he's what twenty three, twenty four. She's ten years younger than him. <laughs> it's fine. It was the 60s. No, it's not fine, actually. It's 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 bad, but you know what? It, it, it is what it is. The 60s and the 60s. It's a different That's, time. Uh, it sure was. The last thing I, I kind of want to get on is the music itself. Uh, yeah. Phenom- phenomenal soundtrack. Uh, it's on Spotify. It's nearly two hours long. You can listen to it. Uh, I think part of the challenge of any biopic is you can't just like, oh, here's that song, you know. You Again, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep bringing up Bohemian Rhapsody because that is such a mediocre movie. I think, yeah, it's easy to compare uh, to. Um, you, you have to kind of reinvent, I, I think, uh, or present the music in a new, exciting way, and that's exactly what Boz Lerman does here is, you know, we have the excited, the recreated performances by Austin Butler, but we also have really new mixes of... Uh, kind of classic Elvis songs, but also mixed with a more modern uh, uh, artist. Uh, like um, there's Jack White, Doja Cat, Tame Impala. Like if you look at the soundtrack, there, there's all the Eminem as well. So th- they took old, you know, his old classic music and a bunch of new artists and mix it all together. And it works really well. The score is done really, really good as um, the score will have a lot of like snippets from his music uh, also. Yeah, uh, blending new hip-hop R&B with older time periods is something Baz Luhrmann is a fan of. He does it in Gatsby. He definitely does it in Moulin Rouge. Uh, this movie's no different, and it works really well. Like, it, it, I don't dislike it. I, I think it works. The whole idea is that he's eliciting an emotion from you, the audience, that makes you feel like you're enjoying the modern sound as much as the people, the audience in the movie, we're enjoying the sound of Elvis, right? The same feeling of elation, just with different music to fit the modern time, uh, and and uniquely match the tone of the visuals on screen. It works. Like, yeah, I, I don't dislike it. I've gone back and listened to a few of the tracks in here. Eminem at the, during the credits was a surprise. One of the reviews I read pointed out the similarities between Elvis uh, lifting elements of black culture in his career and Eminem doing the same in a different time period. I was like never even would have thought to make that connection but i guess that's a read um overall i like it yeah I, and as far as the music goes Elva, I what i read is they blended butler and presley's voices i don't know if that means you use butler for the chorus and you use 
Well, if you but, if you like, look at the soundtrack, on, yeah, there, on Spotify, some of them are listed individually, so I can't really tell. But it, like the point is, it's seamless. Like wh- however they did it, it yeah. works great, and it sounds like Elvis. And good God, good for them. That cannot be easy to do. Yeah, the, the getting like some people, uh, you know, said he doesn't really look like Elvis as much, and that to me that's fine. I, I think the more impressive thing is that he sounds like Elvis. Yeah. He, he could sing. He could recreate his his voice voice right in song like i think that's that's the bigger challenge yeah and i think that's you a make perfect... you get enough makeup you get enough makeup you can make me look like elvis <laughs> yeah and i think that's a perfect analogy for like the larger film a lot of the movie does not look like the 50s and 60s it's like crappy cgi there's <laughs> some of these transitions there's a sequence that where we keep using a camera to whip around the sign or outside the international hotel in las vegas at night and it looks so bad it looks like something from sharknado but like it comes at you so quick and wrapped up in so much emotion of the story, you don't care. Like you get, you just get, like you, you're able to just kind of let that go and enjoy this long epic feature for what exactly what it's supposed to be. It's it's genuinely impressive. <laughs> it's genuinely impressive that you could see so much less than what it's supposed to be and feel exactly what you're supposed to. Like and and by God, I don't I don't know how Baz Luhrmann does it, but he pulls it off. Like somehow. Uh, I think with that we should probably get to reviews uh, and recommendations. Andy, Andy, are you ready? I'm ready. Would you recommend Elvis? Yeah, absolutely. I was really blown away by by this movie. Um, I wasn't real sure to ex- what to expect. I'm a fan of Boss Lerman, so I'm, I was sure it was going to be fine. Uh, but I r- really enjoyed it. It stuck with me. It's made me be more interested in Elvis because I like Elvis is the music of like my parents' parents' generation. So I'm I am not the target audience, but it really captivated me, really interested and engaged me. Uh, the performances are phenomenal. The the soundtrack and score are phenomenal. Butler's probably going to get an Oscar nomination. Probably won't win because he's so new, uh, but just phenomenal. You know, is one of the highlights of the summer. I think. Yeah, I'm equally impressed by Elvis. I I can't believe I liked it as much as I did. It's so easy for me to talk smack about Boss Lerman because he's uh, a a fever dream of a director. This one totally works. Like I somehow to me, it's better than some of its parts. I I really liked Elvis. I I, it is too long. I, I agree. If there's anything, one thing I could say, I wish I could do. I wish I cut a half hour out of it. Um, it's yeah, I, just, I, I, it just feels we, dense in parts. We get to Vegas and there's like an hour left. Yeah. And you're and just that, like, that's like, what? That, that's like yeah. the third act. What is the rest of this movie going to be? And, and, and yeah, because it's so kind of winding and I wasn't really familiar with Elvis's career going in. I wasn't exactly sure where all the beats were going to be. Um, but everything, everything that's important, I think is pretty much there in one way or another. Um, would recommend. Yeah. Elvis is a lot of fun. I, I'd say probably go see it in a theater if you can. And just, just be ready for that runtime. That's the one. Get, get the large popcorn. You're going to be there a while. <laughs> it's, it's a long movie. Uh, and with that, we should move on to our next segment. That Our, our Elvis review ran a little longer than I expected. Uh, Andy, you mind introducing this one? It's time for the trailer park. <laughs> All right, so so we got a few trailers here we're going to be talking about. Uh, we'll just jump right in. Uh, the first one is called 13 Lives, and this is uh, the story of the big rescue mission about the, what is it, 
Thai soccer team that that got trapped in those caves several years ago. Uh, they were there for several uh, weeks, and you know had to figure out a way to rescue them. And through a very like dangerous mission, these flooded caves. This is a new film by Ron Howard. Uh, it stars Joel Edgerton, Colin Farrell, uh, and Viggo Mortensen. Uh, and when this just came came out today. Uh, this looks great. I I really liked it. It's it's very claustrophobic. Like it reminds me a lot of the descent, where you're just because you have these divers in these small caves underwater. Like it's gonna, uh, like it'll give you a panic attack, uh, for sure. And that's and we know that that's a positive story. Uh, that kind of we know how that ended in in real life. So that'll that'll be. Uh, I think it lo- it looks great. What do you think? Uh, so I would have completely written this movie off. I, I saw the trailer earlier today, if not for the star power attached to it. Um, I, I think I'm relatively familiar with the story of, of the Thai cave rescue. I don't know all the details. Of course, I'm sure the film will get into it. Um, but I saw the trailer earlier and thought, ah, oh, prime video. The thing that happened just a couple years ago, that's fine. Right. Okay. That'll be, that'll be fine. That'll be, that'll be mid. And then I saw from director Ron Howard and I was like, oh, <laughs> <laughs> Hold on a second. That's a starring uh, the lead from David Cronenberg's new movie, Viggo Mortensen. Ah, and, and then also starring Colin Farrell. Ooh, and then also starring Joel Edgerton. Ah, like how could I not want to see what's happening in this movie? The trailer, like Andy said, looks surprisingly claustrophobic. Uh, I, I'm, I don't know. Maybe it'll be good. Like normally, I wouldn't care, but but somehow uh, this one has managed to pique my interest uh, in one way or another. Next up, we have Barbarian. Uh, Barbarian is a horror film coming out August 31st uh, about a young woman who arrives at her Airbnb late at night from out of town to go to a job interview and she opens the door and finds that somebody else is already there. Another guest. Uh, and the guest says, well, played by Bill Skarsgård. Bill says, you know, from it, uh, Bill says, come on in. Uh, why don't you just sleep on the couch? I'll sleep in the other room. It's not a big deal. We'll get this sorted out. She tentatively agrees to, to stay uh, and then finds in the middle of the night that not all is as it seems and she may not be as safe as previously expected. Uh, this looks like an interesting little horror feature that would be coming out of somewhere like Bloomhouse. I think it might be. I'm not actually sure who's producing it. But what I do know is it's written, directed by one of the guys from The Whitest Kids You Know, Zach Kreger who has not directed anything in a really long time <laughs> other than some whitest kids, you know, sketches and watching the trailer. I would not think this is coming from a first time director. I mean, he's not really first time, but I'd say this is first kind of big feature. Um, and, and here we are. It looks dark. It looks spooky. I'm, I'm interested. And I, I, it might just be good advertising, but if I didn't know any better, I'd say this might be kind of good. Andy, what do you think of the trailer from Barbarian? Yeah, I was I was a little bit intrigued. Uh, again, it's a little cre- when the person who plays it tells you to you know just stay stay overnight. It'll be it'll be fine. Uh, you <laughs> probably should. Yeah. But but he's actually it, it appears that he actually disappears. Uh, you know, from this house, this Airbnb that's got like some. It's revealed to have like this creepy tunnel system, and screams coming from it. So of course he's got to go investigate. Uh, definitely looks looks creepy, and it's got a, a decent cast. So uh, I'm interested. Next up, we need to talk about the new teaser for Hocus Pocus 2. Hocus Pocus 2 coming from Disney. Uh, this, when is this coming out? Uh, September 30th, uh, streaming only on Disney+. Straight Plus. to streaming. That's <laughs> 
That's right. Uh, starring the return of the Sanderson sisters, uh, Bette Midler, Kathy Najimy, and Sarah Jessica Parker are all back for the film. Uh, this is assumedly following up the original film, Hocus Pocus, which was a straight to Disney Plus film. No, I went to theaters. I think Hocus Pocus was in theaters. I take it back. Yeah, uh, yeah Hocus Pocus came of out. Of course, yeah. It was in yeah. 93. Like, 93, whatever. yes. That's when that came out. Uh, and now, 30 years later, here we are for Hocus Pocus 2. There's not a lot to say about this one, honestly. It's just a teaser. I just wanted to mention it because I think this will probably get some love, right, from millennials on on Disney+. Plus. Uh, the Tumblr, uh, Tumblr, Twitter will have memes. Andy, what do you think? Um... I, I'm not. I am not interested in this. <laughs> All right. I, 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 I did. That's fine. I did. I did watch it for the first time um, a couple of years ago. Uh, hasn't aged particularly well. It, it's just super cheesy. It's it's super camp. But it was yeah. you know it it was a hit back back in the day. Uh, it's very Disney. It's extremely white. I don't think there's <laughs> any people of color in that old neighborhood. Yeah. Uh, don't watch old movies. <laughs> for, yeah, they, right. Never meet your heroes. Have kids. diversity. Um, <laughs> don't don't so watch I, old movies. I'm not, I'm not interested in this at all. But I'm sure there's going to be lots of people who are excited. People that grew up with this or watching this, you know, kind of every year. Will yes. Be super excited. We watch Hocus Pocus every year. Naturally, Hocus Pocus two deserves to be talked about, although it probably will not be all that outstanding. Uh, with that, we should move on to our last trailer. This is for Lyle Lyle Crocodile. Uh, this is a live action animated feature starring a CGI alligator or crocodile, I should say, named Lyle, uh, who likes to sing. Uh, is voiced by Sean Mendez, young singer, also stars Constance Wu uh, as his kind of caretaker of some sort, neighbor, and Javier Bardem as kind of a kooky villain. Looks to be a little bit like Paddington or Paddington 2, uh, but in New York and made by a studio that is not going to care nearly as much uh, as the folks who made Paddington did. Not a lot to say. I just thought it was worth mentioning because I saw it making the rounds. Andy, any hot takes on Lyle Lyle Crocodile? No, I haven't seen the, tra- the trailer. Well, you don't need to, buddy, because there's not a lot there. But I don't know. That's that's a potentially hot new animated thing kids are going to be talking about for a season that's coming out uh, in October. Date unannounced, and that'll be theatrical. So there's your movies. That's what's coming up. With that, we should move into our final film of the episode. I'm going to be taking the summary, so please excuse my clumsy delivery of the movies light year. Buzz Lightyear Mission Log. Lightyear is the story of Buzz Lightyear of Star Command, Space Ranger, who has just gotten out of his hypersleep cube uh, when they, when he and the rest of his crew have landed on this giant, mysterious planet. Turns out it's not exactly where they wanted to be. They were just course correcting. And they're heading off into the wild blue yonder to start a new civilization and discover the secrets of uncharted space. And when getting marooned on this uh, this planet, it turns out they actually have a hard time getting out potentially because of something Buzz did. And Buzz makes it his mission to help everybody get off the planet by hopping in his spaceship and discovering a new form of fuel that will help them reach hyperspeed. But every time he takes the ET, he hops in his spaceship and takes off, the hyperspeed makes him lose four or five years. Um, Cause math, I, I don't really know how physics work in this, in this Pixar Time dilation. universe. That's right. Uh, yeah, sure. And, uh, so, somehow that ends up launching him into the future where he has to get together, uh, in, in this kind of dystopian hellscape that has become this planet that he and his crew used to be marooned on. Uh, and he has to 
rally with some survivors and, and, and hopefully get back to his time, get back to his place and save the universe. Uh, this is the fifth film in the Toy Story franchise. I know it's not necessarily affiliated with Toy Story on its face, but it opens with three title cards that all explain how it works in the Toy Story storyline. And that is very simple. In 1995, Andy went to the movies and he saw a movie that made him buy his favorite toy, Buzz Lightyear. This is that movie. <laughs> this this is the movie he saw. So that's the explanation. So you know, whatever. Yeah, it's fine, I guess. Like whatever gets whatever gets asses in seats, huh? Uh, the movie stars Chris Evans as the titular Buzz Lightyear, uh, Kiki Palmer as Izzy Hawthorne, and Taika Waititi as one of the goofy comedy. I don't know. Uh, the movie is Lightyear. Uh, Andy, <laughs> what'd you think? Uh, I thought this was all right. Uh, I mean, it's a fun movie for the kids and and adults. Uh, I I really liked the the first first act is is really strong. Has a lot of really good visuals. It gets a little clunky in in act two because we we are all of a sudden we are farther fifty years in the future or, or whatever, and then we're introduced to four new characters, and they, it's almost like another movie starts. From there, so like the writing's a little all over the place. It does, it does end well. Um, did like the last bit, uh, part of the movie, um, but it's just it's a little clunky. It's going in a lot of directions. It does kind of lack the kind the kind of Pixar charm that that we've come to know and and unfairly maybe expect uh, from the, the Pixar brand. But I I thought it was, I thought it was fun and funny. It could maybe be a a little bit shorter. Um, this has been a little bit divisive. Some people are thinking it's fine. Some people are thinking it, it tarnishes the, the story, Toy Story brand. Um, I don't think it's it's any, it's that, that serious because uh, I don't, the character, I mean, that is the funny thing or the interesting thing about Toy Story is it's essentially an existential crisis when Buzz comes along because he's like, thinks he's a space ranger and then realizes he's not. And that's a huge, and it's funny to have existentialism in a kid's movie. Uh, but we don't get any of that in this because this is like, you know, a space, he is actually that space ranger uh, that they're trying to portray. And it, it's, it's fine. It's so, fine. I don't, I don't know why people are mad. Yeah. Uh, by, by the way, before we jump into it, Toy Story 1 dude holds up so good. Uh, I went back and watched Toy Story 1 just a couple months ago. That plot is airtight. Like, it's so good, start to finish. You got the favorite toy, then the new kid shows up, he doesn't like him, like, they they fall out the window. Oh, dude. Anyway, um, yeah, I, I've been surprised at, at how many people have been real mid on Lightyear. Uh, it's got, like, a 75, I think, on, on Rotten, which is, like, fine, something like that. Like, three three out of four critics recommend Lightyear. But the other ones don't, and, and I wanted to figure out why. I'd, I'd heard some people say it's bad, it's, it's not exciting, it's not one of Pixar's good ones. Pixar is a studio that makes two kinds of movies. They either make movies for adults that look like a kid's movie, or they, move, they make movies for kids that look like a kid's movie. <laughs> This one is the second one. This is not like made for older people. This is not like soul. This isn't even really like turning red. And I know a lot of people might be like turning reds made for 13 year olds. Yeah. Yeah. But a lot of turning red is surprisingly adult and mature. Yeah. And this is not that movie. This is made for like eight year old boys. 
if I was a kid and I had action figures and I just finished watching Power Rangers and I went and saw Lightyear, I would think this was probably super cool. If I was if I was in 1995 and I was Andy and I saw this movie, I'd have a Buzz Lightyear toy. I would think this is dope. And there's a lot about it that is really clever, but it is not one of Pixar's made for adult movies. This they are not sneaking one by you. You're you're not like oh I'm I'm gonna feel something really deep from Lightyear. Nope. This is one of the kid ones. This is this is one for the kids. <laughs> This is one, one of the, kid the kids. Yes, this is a kid Pixar movie, <laughs> and I think it's. I, I actually really liked it. Like, it's not amazing or anything. It's definitely got problems, but uh, what's most redeeming, I find, is in its visuals, which I think we should talk about in a minute. First things first. Chris Evans plays Buzz Lightyear, right? Uh, Woody, uh, uh, God, I was going to say Woody Allen. Uh, not Woody Allen. Not Woody Tim the Allen. Cowboy. Tim Allen. That's the one. Tim Allen. <laughs> Thank you, Andy. Tim Allen uh, has historically played Buzz Lightyear in the past. Chris Evans is taking over the role here. I think it works great. I think Chris Do Evans is a great they, job. Why that, is, why that is? Why, Andy? Go ahead and tell me. I bet you know. No, no, I don't, no, I don't know. That's why I'm asking. Oh, <laughs> uh, why did he take over? Why does it work? No, why does he take over? Why, why did he didn't take over? Tim, okay. Why didn't My, Tim Allen come back? Okay. There's, there's, there's what I think is the legitimate reason, and then there's my under the table reason. The legitimate reason I think is because Tim Allen was not great as Buzz Lightyear in Toy Story Four. He was really uninspired. A lot of his lines were flat. He wasn't used a lot anyway. But I thought he was okay. And we need Buzz to be like young and energetic and exciting and bold and like. Dude, he, he was he was barely getting it, you know, five years ago in Toy Story 4. He was fine. He was fine as Buzz. The reason I think he might have been replaced for Chris Evans in this movie, uh, fundamentally, is because Chris Evans is just going to have more star power. He's just more relevant, right? More kids might know who he is. Captain America's playing Buzz Lightyear. Like, it's a lot easier than, oh, yeah, the dad from Still Standing or whatever that show was. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Last 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 dad standing. I don't even remember. He's gonna be in a movie, right? Like it's the same reason they cast they cast Chris Pratt as Mario is because it's exciting. And I, I think Evans does a really good job. Like the reason I think it works is because Evans is playing Buzz Lightyear. He's not trying to do a Tim Allen impression. He's trying yeah. to do a what what he thinks Buzz Lightyear would be impression. It's a bit deeper. It's a bit gruffer, but it totally works. Like he's kind of this goofy guy who's very mission oriented and is kind of keeping up with his mission log. And but he's on the he's on the straight and narrow. He's doing the right thing. He's determined to 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 help and and do what's do what's right. Like Buzz Lightyear is a, is a bit of an all American that way, a bit of a meathead. Um, and that leaves a lot of room for his supporting cast, uh, brought in by Kiki Palmer as Izzy, who is this kind of young uh, spunky girl who's who's taking no shit from nobody. <laughs> <laughs> excited to become a space ranger and she's met the real buzz Lightyear. and buzz is we're, we're gonna work together it's gonna be great taika watiti plays this uh kind of goofy comedy character named mo let me tell you man i i feel like i'm i'm running into, i'm already running into taika watiti fatigue what <laughs> he's everywhere fatigue. it's like lin-manuel miranda yeah it's like every disney movie now is just gonna have lin-manuel miranda do the music and he's gonna voice a character in it and that's just gonna be the way it is like that's that's how i feel about taiko i'm like god he's directing thor he's doing this he's on that hbo show i just watched like it, i i can't it's a lot i i got a lot of taiko watiti going on but it's pretty good uh and i'm gonna say that's everybody exciting in the cast uh bill Hader. Briefly, this movie makes the tragic mistake of introducing Bill Hader very early as a as a very small voice character and never bringing him back into the movie. And Bill Hader's great. <laughs> 
Bill Bill Hader voiced Flint Lockwood in two very successful Cloudy with the Chance of Meatball movies for Sony. You probably could have just used more Bill Hader, but it's fine. I, I you know at least they got him on set for a day. They had, they got him on a Zoom call to voice a couple lines for him, and they stuck him in. Uh, you know, the cast I think does a good job. I, I like Kiki Palmer. She's going to be a nope soon, which I'm excited to see. Uh, her and Chris Evans feel very authentic. Taika Waititi feels like Taika Waititi, but that's, you know, I'm an adult, not made for me, made for kids. So yeah. Andy, any thoughts on performances? Well, uh, yeah. I mean, I, I think the, because we have this whole kind of time travel, uh, thing that's happening and we have kind of, uh, uh not son, mother, daughter, dynamic with uh izzy hawthorne and then her daughter alicia hawthorne uh voiced by uzo aduba uh who's famously in orange is the new black uh if you've watched that show uh she's great uh we what to me is kind of clumsy it's not necessarily the performances but like again we get introduced to four new characters in in the second act and it's it's almost like a new movie is starting and then you're it's just it's just a lot going on, and then it kind of also turns into like MacGuffin hunting, where it's like first we got to do it's like you know it becomes a video game. We got to do A before we can do B. Now we've done now we've done that, so we need well, B before we can do C. So yeah, that's what I mean. Ryan the Last Dragon had a similar setup. They were like, hey, we got to go on this journey. We got to pick up all these pieces along the way to get to the destination. Like I would have thought that was awesome when I was a kid. And I feel like if I was a kid now, I would have felt that was cool too, because it feels epic and it feels endless. And it's like, oh, it's this constantly evolving adventure. As an adult, it feels shallow. It does. At one point, they literally get the thing they've been looking for for a while and then drop it to go do something completely different in service of the thing they just found. And it's like, <laughs> you can just, just moving those goalposts further away. Like that, that, that does feel chunky. Yeah. But no, I, I mean, I think the, the performances are, are good. I, I think Evans is great. I, I forgot that it was Chris Evans half the time. Like it just, he felt very natural in the character. Yes. Yeah. Um, he, he does a great it, job. To, to me, yeah. it's, it's more of a, a story issue. I agree. I, I think I think the script is a little rough. Uh, I I don't remember. You saw it before me, and and I think you said, and I'm gonna put words in your mouth. So I'm even wrong. The first and third act are good, but the second act is weak. Or did I have that backwards? No, that's that's correct. Yes, I felt the same way. Uh, the first act of this movie actually real interesting because I, I I just figured it was gonna follow the trailer. In which you feel like you've seen the whole film, right? And I was like, here we go. I said, hop, hop on the trailer roll and just do the trailer for 90 minutes. Uh, but no, like the first act is actually fairly different than what I thought it was going to be. Uh, it's actually surprisingly reflective. It could have been a little bit more emotional. Uh, I don't know. You might, might as well really punch me in the gut while you were there. Uh, second act, it does dry up a little bit. Andy's right. They introduced four characters. The beginning of the second act. That scene, by the way, when they introduced them, that's exactly when I got up to go to the bathroom because I was like, Ding! Now's the time. Like <laughs> nothing, nothing particularly These large is happening people. in the story. Yeah, it's the turn of the second act. Time to go hit the head, uh, and that yeah, was great. It, again, it's like it just—it's two different movies. The first, yes. one, the first part is let's do this mission. The second part is then like, oh, we gotta, we gotta w learn, work, learn to work together. We got this, this gang of misfits, and yeah, yeah, and it, it, that like, makes they it... should—they should have been introduced like in the in Act One. Right. Be. Like, and then had like the fun missteps away from the trailer. Cause I, I, that, that stuff was the best stuff, right? The stuff that I didn't already see. And then additionally in the third act, we roll right over that as well. And we get some new, new stuff that I didn't expect. That was pretty good. It's a little ham fisted, but overall 
it gets the point across. It, what is it? A like hundred minutes? This movie's not yeah. hour forty. Yeah, it's not very long. Uh, again, it's like you said. It's it's a kids movie. I don't it know. Is. Why. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, is, this is a kid movie made for kids. Holding like, it to it, such a high narrative, narrative yes. standard. Like, yeah, and fine. I. I, and I think, you know, Disney's had some trouble with that because they, it's been underperforming for them. And I think it's, you know, partly because of controversy and partly because, you know, it's just confusing. Yeah. It's like, is this Toy Story 5? Do I need to have seen Toy Stories to know what this happening here? This is a Toy Story character. It's just like, it's clumsy. And, and really what, like, I wish it wasn't trapped by that, but it is, you know, and, and on its, by itself, like in a vacuum, I think it's I think it's pretty fine. I, I, it might even actually be kind of good by itself. Uh, it is a space epic, which Pixar does not do a lot of. Last time I saw a Pixar character in space, I think it was Wally, right? Um, so that was kind of neat to see them doing ships again. And I I loved, I so loved the look of this movie. Yeah, here's the bit where I should talk about the visuals. Um, people say I've heard people say this movie does not have any soul. This movie does not have the heart and the soul that other Pixar movies do, uh, including the movie Soul. Uh, I, I disagree. I think that is here. I think that is in the visuals. And, and I think people weren't looking for that. I think people were looking for a bouncy script and some bubbly fun. And that's not always there. But what is always there is the visuals. The, this, this movie is strikingly good looking. It has incredible throwbacks to all kinds of science fiction, film, TV. You've got looks at Star Trek, Star Wars. You, you got Blade Runner in here. You got James Cameron's Aliens. You got James Cameron's Terminator 2. You got Terminator 1. You got Alien. You got David Fincher's Alien 3 in this movie. Like, there are so many. You got time travel movies in here. Like, you have so many cool science fiction properties that had to exist for this movie to fly. And it totally works. There's so many neat sequences in here. There's an airlock sequence. <laughs> Characters have to get from one side of a ship to the other by blasting out the airlock. And you've got laser beams and you got giant robots and you got gravity boots and you got jetpacks. Like, there's so much cool stuff going on in this movie. And it's all presented through this like beautifully lit lens. If you're watching on Facebook, you can see just, just one frame I've got from the trailer up. Like, this is a children's film. Look at how good this looks, you know? Like, it's crazy. Go back and watch the trailer. Watch that David Bowie trailer once or twice and tell me that there's not something happening here. I think the reason that all gets sidelined is because people are looking for a good script and you're looking for fun, right? And you're looking for the frolic of a children's movie. Like, you want to see the heart and soul of Pixar? It's on the screen. Like, you just weren't looking at it. You didn't didn't see it the way I think... It was meant to. That is the emphasis here. Like it's not it's not some big moral lesson. I think it's a genuine artistic presentation of science fiction. Like, and I think it's really good. And it gets swept up in it's a Toy Story Five and it's a weird prequel and it's a kid's movie. Like I I, I think that is misaligned with the intentions of the movie. But props to the art department, because good God, this movie looks good. <laughs> Very impressed with the visuals. Yeah, the uh, the action sequences look phenomenal uh, when Buzz is doing all these kind of test flights in the the spacecraft. Uh, really exciting, looks really cool. Uh, the planet looks good. The aliens and robots. Uh, are, again, that's where the like you said, the heart and soul is is in the visuals. Uh, for yeah. Sure. Some some other interesting kind of tidbits. Uh, so the movie is is doing okay financially. It's struggling, but it it was also hammered right between. Um, or you know, it's in the middle of a busy film season. It came out a week after Jurassic World, a few weeks after Top Gun, which is still 
uh, you know, in in the top five, and then you know Elvis. So it's it has a lot of competition. There's also a, a kind of outside theory that because Pixar has released three films in a row on streaming, that people are just expecting Pixar to be on streaming and not have to go to the theater. I'm not sure how how yeah. much that that is may or may I, not be true but it's something i heard i know and I, I feel terrible about that because i do think pixar films should be in theaters and i i the last three have been on streaming services and it's been a bit of a bummer turning red was at last minute turned into a streaming only film it was supposed to be theatrical the pixar film the pixar studio people were mad as hell about that reportedly um and this one is their first real swing back at theaters and it's like one of their most underperforming so far i i I'm concerned about how the rest, how the future of their films will go. They will likely be going to streaming and it's like, good God, Disney, did you really manage to run one of your premier studios into a streaming only function? Like it may be a good thing for Disney, but it's, it's a bummer for me because I think these movies really do present the best blown up on the big screen. You know, like the, the silver screen is where I want to see these stories. And it, it bums me out that um, that may not happen as much because of what I think is misaligned vision, but I, I mean, I don't know who, who am I to say how Disney runs their stuff. Um, but I was impressed by just how tangibly sci-fi this movie feels like there's so many little things. There's, there's socks, the cat, which is this kind of cyborg little, well, it's not just cyborg, it's just a robot, little cat <laughs> rolls around with buzz. That's really goofy. It's made to sell toys, but is, is uniquely staged as kind of a, kind of an interesting droid character. And it's kind of sweet and funny and helpful. At least socks feels more helpful and damn R2D2. And, and I love this, the way like the, the the fuel crystals like rotate and shine the way that the, the buzz is trying to get to turn into hyperspace fuel and and the way that this fuel like is like this gel liquid that like pumps out of these jars and the stuff he's got like it all just feels so thoughtful like and it, and it feels so well produced by a team that really wanted to to inject some some personality and some heart into a story that on its face is a little shallow i agree uh and overall i think that makes it worth talking about at least i i know it's not for everybody uh but i know it'll be on streaming soon and when it comes there i would say i guess i'll have to wait to the recommendations to say what i would say but uh i do want to talk about the score michael giacchino uh and any thoughts it's good stuff though no, it's good stuff I, uh we're we're given the um i can't now i can't remember it but uh we're given like buzz has his own theme and it's repeated a lot throughout the movie uh, it's very good it's very memorable i can't recall it at the moment but i i do remember that st sticking out uh to me is a good theme for buzz bud light bud light year yeah. buzz light year yes uh giochino does most of pixar's films uh you'll know him from the bombastic scores of the incredibles one or two or i think ratatouille i mean he does most of them he's, he's done cars and but i mean the one the ones that are really big brass like loud orchestra like that's what this is this is going to be like big big set piece music and it's good it it's 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 i'm not going to say aggressive but it, it feels very like cinematic i guess is what i'm trying to say <laughs> i i don't know i'm not a, i'm not a music man but uh at parts i wish it was a little slower a little quiet a little thoughtful but i'm an adult not made for me this is a kids movie like this is supposed to be for kids and good. Like, I think that's what kids need. They need that energy. Like, they, they need that. They need those big set pieces, right. For, for things to come together. They need that action to feel very climactic. I think Jujana does a great job. Um, I don't know. Any, any other thoughts for recommendations? I'm ready. 
Andy, would you recommend Lightyear? Yeah, I would. Uh, even, you know, I wouldn't even say straight, you know, save it for streaming. Um, it, I enjoyed it a lot in the theater. It has really great visuals. You know, take the kids, take the family, definitely have a good time. It's, it gets a little bogged down in the second act. Like I said, you're introduced to a bunch of new characters and you kind of got to go on a, a bunch of uh, side quests, basically. Uh, but outside of that, it was a fun time. It's, you know, there's a lot of good humor. There's socks. The cat is going to sell a bunch of toys. Uh, I'm sure. And yeah, it was overall pretty enjoyable. A lot of fun. I really enjoyed this movie. It's not perfect. Uh, the scripts, look, the scripts a little bland. It's definitely got problems. It's like it sags in the second act. Um, but I think there's something special happening here and it's not the most fleshed out and it's not the most ideal. Pixar has definitely done better. But like for what's happening in Lightyear, like they certainly could have done worse. Uh, I think you should try to see it in a theater if you can, if only for uh, how good this movie looks. I think I think it's a really good looking flick. I'm I'm excited for it to come to streaming. I'm gonna I'm whenever it gets here, I'm gonna start cutting out frames and tweeting them. Like because I I there's there are scenes in this movie I was like, God, this looks good. Like <laughs> God, the the lighting, the, the the way this came together, the shadows in this scene, like just I know and I know that sounds small, but like. There's something really special happening in the light here. And I think for, for, for the person with the keen eye or, you know, the eight-year-old who it's actually made for, uh, I think you're going to enjoy it. So that's Lightyear. And that's our show. That's episode 181. God, Elvis and Lightyear. Elvis and Lightyear sounds like a uh, night nighttime radio DJ pair, don't they? Elvis <laughs> and Lightyear until yeah. midnight. Uh, what are we watching next week, Andy? House of Gucci. House of Gucci. <laughs> so uh, House of Gucci is coming to uh, Amazon Prime Saturday, July 2nd. Uh, so we're going to be checking that out because we missed it back when it came out in November. Had some Oscar potential. And we'll, I finally get to see this ridiculous performance from <laughs> from Jared Leto. Um, we're also going to be checking out the, the Black Phone, which is the horror movie starring Ethan Hawke, which actually came out last week. Uh, but we watched Elvis for the show, so we'll be catching up this week. Other big release, the big release for the 4th of July is Minions Rise of Gru. We will be skipping that one, but that is, just so people know, that's out uh, this weekend, big release. And then come back the following week for Thor Love and Thunder on July 8th. Yes, uh, very excited to talk about House of Gucci. I've seen a little bit of it on an airplane, so I'll have to go back and restart it when it comes to Amazon on July 2nd. Uh, and the black phone, I'm not as excited about. It just, it looks fine. You know, like, it, it tell you what, what, what like you, you make a horror movie, you take your big main star and you pick it, just stick a big dumb mask on him so nobody can see him. And then you cast a bunch of nobodies, <laughs> but particularly children around him. Uh, and you make that a movie. Like, it'll be fine. Right. <laughs> like, I don't, I don't know. It'll be fine. I, I, it's making some good money. It comes from Bloomhouse. It's got Ethan Hawke. How bad could it be? I'm sure there's some tension in it. So. Uh, we will check out the black phone and one more thing uh, worth mentioning. Uh, and well, I got a couple of things worth mentioning, but uh, house of Gucci was uh, really Scott's second film last year's first film of the last duel. And I watched that not that long ago on HBO and it's pretty good. I know we briefly covered the last duel on the show. Andy watched it and covered it. But uh, if you haven't seen it, last duel is pretty mm-hmm. solid. <laughs> go, go check out the last duel and we'll see about house of Gucci next week. Uh, did you mention, I don't. I, sorry, did you mention Thor? I was all. I was all keyed up talking about. Yes, I did. All yes, right, did. perfect. Well, then, yeah, Thor's coming out as well eventually. We'll go see that. And 
Yeah, I think that about covers it. If you enjoyed the show today, if you like what we're doing here on Offscript, if you enjoy us talking about movies, maybe want to hear more, or maybe want to weigh in with your own opinion, email us at mail at offscriptfilmreview.com. Send us some of that sweet, sweet correspondence, and we might just read it on the show. You can follow us on Facebook, where we live stream our show every Tuesday. You can follow us on YouTube, where we post our live streams after the fact. We're on iTunes, we're on Instagram, we're on Twitter, we're on Google, we're on Spotify. We're in all the usual places you get your podcasts and also all the usual places you find podcasts on social media. But the biggest thing you can do to support your boys here at Offscript is just subscribe. Just subscribe to the show to get new episodes delivered straight to your phone every single week. Also leave a rating and review if you can. It helps out podcasters more than you know. Folks like us really appreciate it. So, with all that being said, I think that about covers it from Offscript, uh, episode 181, the home of Bolt Cinema. I'm Zach Lewis. And I'm Dr. Draper. Thanks for watching.